What does the sound of a billion, maybe a trillion, horny teenagers sound like? That's right! We're talking about cicadas on tonight's episode of the Hometown Haunts Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hometown Haunts Podcast, brought to you by the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comicsology. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and along with me in the shadows are Christina Wald, who is broadcasting from Long Island, New York, and Jen Kohler, who's in Cincinnati with me. Mm -hmm. So, hello. How is Long Island? You were telling us about cemeteries earlier. So I'm going to change the view here really quick and edit that line out I just said. Um, it's been really nice. It's, it's been really cold and rainy here, though. Um, it's, it, we're right on the water uh, in Eastport, Ooh. and it has been raining a lot. Of course, we're heading to New York City on Saturday, which by then it's supposed to be beautiful and be in the 80s by next week. So it's been kind of moody. It kind of has that New England uh, moodiness right now. Oh, I love always... the New England moodiness. Yeah, we, you know, all the, there's all the yeah. birds, and then there's tons of birds. We've seen some green herons. There's a very angry blackbird that are uh, redwing blackbirds, which I love them. I think I love their song, but apparently they don't sing when you're close to their nest. They make this alarm chirp noise, and so uh, every time you walk out to their dock to the water, you hear the chirping of a very angry red-winged blackbird that's Aww. saying you're getting too close to my nest. But there's some uh, lots of egrets, swans, um, a lot of different birds, purple fin- We've seen so many different birds. And then we see these little bunnies frolicking. So Aww. that's cool. But, um, you know, aside from the wildlife, I was also uh, telling you all before we got on air that it's really interesting, the graveyards in um, Long Island and also close to New York City, like when you fly into LaGuardia and you drive um, uh, through Queens and those areas, you see all these tightly packed, really old cemeteries. And when I say tightly packed, they're huge and the gravestones are really close together. And we were in um, Southampton earlier this week and there was a couple really cool old uh, graveyards that I'd love to get some video of and sketch and that sort of thing. But the weather hasn't been terribly conducive to sketching. I mean, fortunately, the view from my brother's house is nice. So I sketched from there. That and mm-hmm. I'm trying to finish illustrations for a book. So I haven't gotten to do too much sketching yet. But I'm hoping in New York City, I'll get to do some fun sketching of places. Yeah, Check that'd be some fun. Of the new stuff. Yeah. 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 That makes me wonder, are they, are the people in these cemeteries buried like laying down or are they standing up? That's a good question. I have no idea. That's something to find out. There's actually a really cool old uh, uh, cemetery in Brooklyn that I went with a friend to sketch a couple of years ago, and it had like a lot of Revolutionary War. There's a couple of cemeteries you can go here that have a lot of Revolutionary War um, uh, burials. And that was it, it was interesting, too, because they had like this sort of Gothic entrance to this uh, Brooklyn Cemetery, and I'll link in the show notes what it was actually called. But they actually have parrots living in nests that were somehow huh. released 
there. And you see like these <laughs> giant nests in this sort of Gothic castle-like entrance to this cemetery. That's really weird. <laughs> it's sort of a weird, maybe the it's maybe a, there's a podcast. It's a like fun juxtaposition, juxtaposition, which mm-hmm. totally reminds me. This is very related to that, but nothing history related. I remember in high school when we were reading um, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And I just remember my teacher going, how can we make this story very different? What can you do to change the environment to make it very different? And I said, make it a parrot instead of a raven. And uh, (laughs) he laughed for a solid two minutes. Like, (laughs) I guess no one had thought about that. But anyway, so the parrots living in the cemetery just reminds me of that fun like very dark very gothic and then happy little parrot sitting in a tree like (laughs) i don't think i got pictures of any of the birds i do have pictures of the nests and that sort of thing but it was a great place to sketch a lot of really old i mean similar to sketching in spring grove um not as much uh i mean you know the arboretum in spring grove i don't know if i've ever seen anything like that anywhere else but it it was a cool cemetery yeah yeah Um, I think Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston would be similar to a Spring Grove. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it was very cool. I went to school in upstate New York and in Rochester. And uh, one of the first things I did was seek out the one of the cemeteries. And I think it was ca- called Mount Hope Cemetery, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I went one day, it was like September or maybe it was in the fall. Some some beautiful day, really windy. The grass was really overgrown and so like the wind was pushing what's blowing through it and everything it was just really cool eerie cemetery and i loved it <laughs> oh that's cool yeah uh, if, if, if for those visiting new york city that are also hamilton fans you can go to i believe it's trinity uh chapel cemetery it's actually right next to where the um uh, 9-11 memorials are and stuff because it's in the financial district and it's this—it's it, interesting because there's all these giant glass buildings, and then this little tiny church with this little tiny graveyard from the Revolutionary War, and it's where um, Eliza and Alexander Hamilton and some other notable people from the um, uh, Revolutionary War are buried there. And that has a lot of—I think we've talked about some of the symbols on gravestones before, with the skulls and the little wings and all that stuff. And you see a lot oh, yeah. of those um gravestones there and you know they've managed to keep this graveyard there probably because of its historical significance uh you know that's the one thing that you always see in these these cities where they're building these giant skyscrapers and there's constant um renovation going on and yet you want to keep the history yeah i mean who knows how much the land underneath that church is worth oh yeah but it's it's a must see when you're (laughs) when you're visiting um and actually there's a really cool um very close to their sort of restaurant you can go to that used to be an inn and it's it's the original building like george washington was there and it's where he went after they won the revolutionary war and um that's a neat place of history too and they have like a little museum upstairs that you can go to yeah yeah the next time we're in new york we need to uh check out these places never been to new york city i was eight hours away when i was in school and i never went <laughs> mainly oh, because i was a to... poor 
I was a poor college student, couldn't afford really to drive down there and stay there. But that's a yeah, reason I, to do a girls' weekend sometimes. Yeah, yeah that I is a good reason. Go. Yeah, Take I don't pictures. remember New York City too well. I was there for a wedding and I was translating for a friend's family. So mm-hmm. I was basically translating between English and Japanese the entire weekend and explaining cultural stuff. So it, it was fun when we were there, but it it was a blink and you, you missed it mm-hmm. weekend. So yeah. uh yeah, it is like to go and actually take time walking through everything and see Central Park and all that. So there, there's so much interesting things to see. And just from the art standpoint, there's uh so much interesting artwork, um, not just the museums, but just the art that's around. Um, you know, street art and um going to the schools and seeing their senior shows. Uh it, it's an incredible town. And and you know, I, I love watching theater and I, I love see, I'm glad they're opening Broadway up again because I can't wait to watch shows again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So shall we move on? To so I didn't I didn't actually manage to do the podcast thing. So for everyone, we are an official podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. And on all those platforms, please rate and review us there and on YouTube so other spooky lovers and weird history enthusiasts like you can find us. Link in the show notes, of course. And also obligatory, you can find us on Twitter at Sin Cabinet Curio at Cincinnati, or sorry, Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And you can send us and share your true hometown haunts, weird history, creepy cryptids, and other fun stories at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. And now we're on to the bugs. <laughs> Every video I took this week, every audio that I recorded of these wonderful little cicadas flying around, I thought of you, Jen. <laughs> that was a really evil cackle. I'm sorry. Everyone. I know. Effing bugs. I, uh, I hate bugs. I hate them. They creep me out. They give me creepy crawlies. I have a healthy respect for them as long as they're not in my personal space, if they're not in my hair. Or in my house or in my bed or anything. If I'm outside, that's fine. Just, you know, keep a distance. Keep a so distance. So guess what got <laughs> into my hair and then another point went down my shirt today. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cicadas! At least they don't bite. Mm. Yeah, at least they don't bite. So <laughs> for all of you researchers out there, our sources for tonight's show come from the Cincinnati Inquirer archives, the Cincinnati Magazine, the Smithsonian, Wikipedia, Cincinnati City Beat the Cincinnati Post archives, WLWT, and the Mount St. Joseph University press releases. Yeah, we got a good hearty show. I'm excited about it. Yes. 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 I mean, I'm excited to learn about them. All right. Shall we have it? So if you have any questions, you can just chime in or... It's just going to be cat lecture for 10 minutes and then you ask well, questions. I, I, I think we could do the cat lecture and then we can talk about Because remember, I have my really spooky story. I mean, one thing that's true reason to do uh, a show on cicadas is it really is the stuff of, I mean, for some reason, there's some sort of visceral 
fear of insects. Um, you know, it's if you watch movies like Arachnophobia or, mm-hmm. you know, anything with, you know, and actually there's been a couple of science fiction stories where the aliens were giant bugs. If you watch Starship Troopers or, yeah. uh, you know, it seems like big bugs are sort of the thing now. Yeah. Creature features didn't those used to have like the giant ants and yeah them, them was yeah. the name of the movie them okay yeah, yeah. so yeah. shout out to um not oh man just providence rhode island with the big blue bug that you can see on i-95 anyway so <laughs> made famous by the movie dumb and dumber so watching brood x of the periodical cicadas is like witnessing a rare meteorological event. Only a few times in our lifetime will we witness billions, nay, trillions of insects emerge and control the skies around Cincinnati and the other regions of the eastern United States. This year for Brood X or Brood 10, the periodical cicadas we're witnessing now, which have been recorded in history. And those years are 2021, 2004, 1987, 1970, 1953, 1800, 1783, 1766, 1749, 1732, and 1715. And all of those years actually have significance to them. That's a 306 years worth of cicada behavior and study that has been done in the United States. And this is a well-researched little bug and also the longest living insect on the planet. Even older than cockroaches, huh? Yeah, even older than cockroaches. These guys go for 17 years at a time. Cockroaches don't really live that long. They really don't. No, they don't. Surprise. Anyway. (laughs) Just like Twinkies don't taste good after two weeks. (laughs) I don't speak from personal experience or anything. Anyway. What's amazing with the reoccurrence of brood X and other cicadas is watching how populations react to them. Thankfully, because we've been recording this since 1715, we now can get a glimpse into how different generations handled the swarm of cicadas and their opinions on them, which is as a cultural anthropologist, when I was reading about all these different swarms, I'm like, this is what I'm interested in. Cicadas themselves haven't changed too thoroughly much, though I'm I'm sure we'll get some uh, scientists coming in and going, hey, but actually... But as a cultural anthropologist, how people reacted to them was more interesting and in how they got used in advertisements. So that's really was the catalyst for this, this week's show. The first recorded event of Brood X was back in 1715 along the East Coast of the United States and the Eastern half of the United States. And they were referred to as locusts. Rudy Scheibner, an entomologist at the University of Kentucky College of Art, Agriculture sent in an interview about the cicadas with Cincinnati Enquirer from June 21st, 1974. Early American colonists had never seen periodical cicadas. So when they were <laughs> they were best by these insects, they associated them with the biblical story of the locust plague of Egypt during the time of Exodus. It was perhaps an association that led to the cicadas being called locusts. Locusts are really migratory grasshoppers 
quite unrelated to cicadas. And he is correct. But they wouldn't be named cicadas until 1758. However, the term locusts being associated with them lives on for a while. Thomas Jefferson noted in his garden book in 1775 that cicadas had cropped up around the grounds of Monticello. His oh. first magazine about cicadas was printed in the United States. In 1851, the second species of periodical cicadas was named. There turns out to be three, but we didn't discover that until 1961. In 1868, saw a massive emergence of periodical cicadas with both the 13 and the 17 year cicadas emerged at the same time. This only happens once every 221 years. The next will be in 2089. So only 68 years away. <laughs> I think I'll be dead by then, but anyway, <laughs> my children will live on to see it. Ah, this is also the first time it is recorded in Cincinnati that cicadas were a thing, according to a correspondent only known as MC from the Cincinnati Enquirer. They write, during the last day of May in 1817, I first witnessed their appearance in this vicinity. Being then a boy, my father gave me facts connected with their appearance in 1800, which have not been confirmed, which have now been confirmed four times. It is noted in the same article that Philadelphia's infestation of cicadas was so bad that year that people were shouting in order to hold conversations between one another outside and church services had been canceled. That is a lot of noise because this cicadas make around the same decibel level as lawn mowers, which in fact, if you choose to mow your lawn during the day right now, you will get a bunch of female cicadas on you immediately because they associate it with the same hum of male cicadas. So if you have an electric mower or an old school rotary mower, you're good though. As we found out in, just by our own experiments recently. Anyway, <laughs> there were some misconceptions about the cicadas at the time. The Gazette in Dayton reported the Dayton Empire says that when the locusts visited the vicinity 17 years ago, and this was 17 years from 1868, many persons were stung by them, and in some cases, fatally. The Cincinnati Enquirer reported that same year, that same month, we learned that on Saturday last, two children in Dayton were stung by them so severely that one died, and that the life of the other, there is little hope. And that was written June 16th, 1868. And my question is, what stung them because it wasn't a cicada? In addition to warning people about the cicada stinging, the Cincinnati Enquirer also warned of eating squirrels who had eaten the bug because squirrels will eat cicadas. They like to eat the heads off their bodies. Our readers should be cautious in eating squirrels during the locust season. As these rodents eat the locusts, Dr. Wright informs the Terre Haute Express that in 1851, he knew once family and the inmates of a large boarding house, among them Colonel R.W. Thompson, made quite sick with every symptom of poisoning traced to the eating of squirrel pie. Y'all right there, Jen? Gross. No. Don't eat squirrels or cicadas. Don't do it. You can't eat cicadas, though apparently not if you have a selfish shellfish allergy. But uh, 
Yeah, this is from the Cincinnati Enquirer, June 17th, 1868. However, by 1885, when Cincinnati saw the next cycle of cicadas, uh, society's view of them had changed to be quite favorable. The Cincinnati Enquirer, however, by 1885, when Cincinnati saw the next cycle of cicadas, society's view of them had changed to be more favorable. The Cincinnati Enquirer on June 2nd, 1885 stated, Fruit growers count on better crop apple crops for the half dozen years after a locust year than the half dozen years before they come. This is because by 1885, it had been noted that cicadas are beneficial to crops, especially trees, because they naturally help prune tree branches. Their weight alone will knock wheat, weak, not wheat branches. Their weight alone will knock wheat. wheat. <laughs> Their weight alone will knock weak branches out of the tree. The inquirer also notes that cicadas have been used in soap making as well. The Post, the Cincinnati Post, even suggested that cicadas are good breaded and fried and mentioned the new dish was very good, that it had a flavor unlike anything else in their experience. The Cincinnati Post, June 12, 1885. They were breading and frying cicadas even back then. Ew. Oh, yeah. Mm, crunchy. The brood naming system for cicadas was created in 1898, giving the 17-year cicadas the name Brood X or Brood 10. There are a total of 15 broods or cycles of periodic cicadas in the United States, with 17-year cicadas are the broods 1 through 10, 13, 14, and chewy. <laughs> and the 13-year cicada broods being 19, 22, and 23. Brood 19 is next in 2024. <sighs> yeah, there are no brood numbers for periodic cicadas for 11, 12, 15, 16, and 17, and 18. I don't know why. These are different from yearly cicadas that you may get around your home, which tend to be brown or green. Brood 10, the 2021 cicadas are prevalent in Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Ohio, and Eastern Tennessee. Were you going to say something, Jen? Yeah, I just had a question. Are like all these different broods, are they all around the country? Yeah, or... well, mostly the eastern side. And I do have a graphic by the forestry, U.S. Forestry Division that will okay. show all where they are and where they're landing and if there's any that overlap. So Cincinnati okay. brood, brood 10 is really our home brood. Like, okay. um, we may be getting a new one, though. A little bit more mm. about that in a little bit. Okay cicada cycle of 1902 in that cycle reporters across the country turned to scientists and naturalists to explain cicadas although rumors of cicadas stinging people still persisted the cincinnati post reported on a man who served cicada soup cicada fritters cicada pie and cicada on toast for dinner one night the article goes on to add that no one requested seconds for any of that portion of the meal and that was reported june 11th 1902 because the city had been planting trees during the last cycle along the hillsides, the city saw an increase in the number of cicadas for the brood in 1919. Ah, it is reported in College Hill, the insects were reported to be so numerous yesterday that the residents in several sections of the hill scooped them up with shovels and pouring coal oil on the insects burned them in heaps. That is freaking cruel. That is mean. My that is very mean. My brother-in-law did that 
couple weeks ago he didn't like scoop up a, he, he just picked up one and then threw it in the fire pit with when the fire was going i'm like don't do that i know oh, bugs but i don't don't burn it alive <laughs> conversely when mike and i were out doing our fire pit on sunday they we had since it was dusk the nymphs were coming up and we were scrambling collecting them and moving them into parts of the garden or the trees that keep them from getting into the fire pit and even any yeah. flying adult we we actually rescued one that landed on a burning log but the top hadn't caught on fire yet so we just scooped it up real quick and put it in the garden so yeah we were we were cicada rescue team so Aww. i they don't really know how many dumb- Dumb bugs, they are very they? dumb bugs very but dumb. <laughs> trying because they're so good for the environment we try to save them as much yeah. as we can yeah. we try to and not step on them throw them in fire it's just I pick them up off the yard or the ground and put them in like trees and things yeah don't throw them in fires don't pour coal oil on them. don't pour no. coal oil on anything no one wants that no anyway 1925 periodical cicadas were named Magi cicadas by W.T. Davis, who sold insurance policies. So we're starting to see an economic bent towards uh, marketing towards cicadas. Cicadas competed with the orchestra during rehearsals for the 1936 summer opera at the Cincinnati Zoo. That same time, the Bavarian Brewing Company in Covington, Kentucky, had a terrible problem. It was reported that several Bushel loads of dead cicadas clogged the cooling tower, which required the brewery to halt production until they were cleared out. Mm. Is there a cicada-themed beer around here? There really should be. Sure so, there is. I'm sure there is. We, I, I, there has to we be. will find it. Yeah. We will find it. During the 1957 outbreak of cicadas, not brewed X, however, the Cincinnati Enquirer noted that farmers were spraying orchards to keep the females from damaging the crops. They were also prevalent in previous cycles, such as 1936, where you have photos of kids spraying trees trying to keep them from being damaged. Where it was thought that spraying the trees would save them from damage. In both cycles, news reports refer to the cicadas as locusts and were on the whole pretty negative towards cicadas. The 1953 press of the cicada cycle claimed that the only males made the noise while females destroyed the trees. This is actually incorrect. And both males and females make singing sounds. And the insecticide TEPP was suggested as the only effective means to get rid of cicadas, completely ignoring the fact that they'd only be around for about four weeks. <laughs> the article also warns the people using TEPP about the dangers of splashing it onto themselves and how it will basically eat their flesh. Mm. So I find it interesting that for those 20 years between like the 1930s and 1950s, the answer to cicadas was to kill them all yeah and even 1919 because that's when the coal oil was happening it was just kill them all let's let's not try to understand them at all we're just going to was there a lot more or maybe i'm just there not was... in an area that is overrun so it's suspected there were a lot more because the urbanization you also get like depending on the urbanization that happened when the 
parent cicadas were alive depends on the population for the kids. So in 1919, the previous cycle, they saw a lot of tree planting then. So of course, now they have lots of cicadas for them to go. In Philadelphia, um, so for example, the 1868 boom that they had where you had both broods coming out at the same time, there was a lot, but Cincinnati had fewer reported because there was so much urbanization between those 17 years that it plowed over all those cicadas. But Philadelphia that hadn't seen as much urbanization had so many that no one could speak to one another unless you were in a building. So if you had your windows open or your doors open because of the breezes, which you would in June, uh, Mm -hmm. you couldn't have a conversation with anyone. And that's why schools and churches were closed because no one could teach anything. It was also summer break, but you couldn't communicate with anyone around you. So uh, a lot of the urbanization and how many trees get planted in between, like before the years, because they'll only lay eggs during this particular time of the year. And for the next 17 years, they're not going to make more cicadas of this particular species so or brood so that that's why you're seeing different Mm -hmm. amounts like even the west side versus the east side of cincinnati you're seeing different amounts of cicadas being reported oh yeah a friend of mine in wyoming ohio she was posting pictures and she had a lot more in her yard than i do mine yeah and i have a lot more than i did last week but it's still not right a ton yeah another fun fact is the males pop out first and then the females come out so um we saw a big brood the brood's coming or the nymphs coming out of the soil probably last weekend the ones we were saving for the fire were probably females that were coming out to mate so um i guess we're doing mother nature a service here and how many babies do they have um well 1987 it was um estimated around 90 million so okay huh by 1970 the cycle however in the news media had changed for the better and cicadas were yet again seen as a gardener's friend and reports were turning to entomologists and naturalists again for an explanation of what we were seeing and to repel misinformation and uh yeah searching through the archives a lot of the 1970s articles were all about how they were gardening friends and they were part in the gardening sections of the inquirer and all that and how we love cicadas you very much see the earth day mindset coming out during that time so 1987 we can't forget snappy tomato pizza's famous 1987 commercial jingle advertising the cicada pizza i remember that so well I was in college yeah. at UC, and UC was had a ton of cicadas. Yeah, and I, can, I, I can remember see that. that. That was hilarious. I mean, they had a very annoying theme song, and it seemed appropriate for cicadas. Yeah. Did you did you get a cicada pizza just just to see it? They didn't have cicada pizza. It was a joke. It wasn't real, but it was a really good oh. marketing gimmick. Yes. Well, Jen? when I was going through the articles today in the archives, there were quite a few about eating them and mm-hmm. how to eat them and i guess i think it was in 2004 there was a restaurant that was serving them mm-hmm. i just mm, no no yeah 
But that's a fun changing of the times. Whenever they're seen as a good thing, you start seeing people being creative with them. There's art done of them. Mm -hmm. uh, people are trying to eat them, coming up with restaurants or different recipes or whatnot. And when people, when it swings the other way, they're just trying to kill them all. It's pesticides galore. And how can we get rid of them as fast as we can? Uh, hmm? So do you eat them after they die? Um, you humanely you... kill them and then roast them or fry okay. them. So humanely just... killing them would be putting them in the freezer for a half an hour. So they free, like they freeze and fall asleep oh. and die. And it's, um, I could go get my collection. It's sitting on top of our fridge, but I can talk about that a little bit later, but I have a bunch of dead cicadas in my house. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in the most current cycles, uh, <clears throat> in the most current cycles, cicadas have become playful media advertising topics, and this scourge of human existence has been kind of erased. It, it's all very playful. In the 2004 news cycle, WLWT used the term cicada mania in a playful way to describe society's interest in the singing bugs. Uh, the first time an early emergence was predicted was in 2000. The early emergence was a large enough to reproduce. So Cincinnati may be a home to a new brood of cicadas in the future. Lucky us. I'm excited. I don't know if Jen's excited, but that's really cool. It's it, We're watching science happen, like a new species being created. It's cool. I can admire them from inside my house. I don't have to go outside. <laughs> Darwin would be so excited. He was actually very excited about cicadas when he was alive and wrote about them. Uh, other interesting facts. Uh, old wives tales used to say that if you find a W on the wing of a cicada, it's meant that war was coming. Other misconceptions uh, were periodical cicadas or their eggs are poisonous and to not eat them or fruit from trees with cicadas in them. The previously mentioned Rudy, previously mentioned Rudy Scheibner, uh, connects this myth with that of the hoop snake. And trust me, I did not expect to go into cryptozoology for this episode. He says, as described by storytellers, the hoop snake is a deadly creature with a stinger in its tail. The snake is said to take its tail in its mouth and form a hoop and roll after its victim. After the appropriate time, the snake straightens out like an arrow and sails tail first at the quarry. If the snake misses its mark and stings a tree, the tree will wilt in a few minutes. This is from the Cincinnati Enquirer, June 21st, 1974. What wow. is an interesting connection between these two is that female cicadas do have a probe at the end of their abdomen so they can inject the eggs into young tree branches. This is a similar physiology to the mythic hoop snake and may have linked the two. Also, if you get too many female cicadas slashing at young trees and the trees are not strong enough to take it, trees can wilt and die. So that is also another connection to the hoop snake. Of course, it's very rare. It, it Gardeners do advise people to kind of bag up your trees in a gauze if they're really young. But that's just to prevent some die off on the tree. Generally, cicadas are very good for the environment. And as stated earlier, they help prune dead branches or weak branches out of trees, partially with how the females lay eggs and also by their own weight, because there's a lot of them on the trees buzzing around. 
So, and also for the final time, cicadas are not poisonous and they will not sting you. So a little bit about it. entomologists. I am not an entomologist. I just really, really love cicadas and have been chasing them around for the past two weeks. But if you want to hear some talk about the cicadas physiology and their life cycles, please look, look up Dr. Jean Kritsky at Mount St. Joseph University here in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has gained international renown for his research into cicada cycles. He, ha- he and his team have come up with the Cicada Safari app for the mobile phone and tablets where you can log in and report the different cicadas you encounter around your home. You don't have to be just in Cincinnati to use this app. It's quite popular in, out on the East Coast and the Eastern side of the United States. I've had a lot of fun using this app and have submitted many videos and photos tracking the cycle using it. Right now in the top ranks, I'm in the 4,000s. I'm not the most prevalent cicada user, but I actually do rank. It's kind of funny. Another fun entomologist to follow on social media is Dr. Samuel Ramsey, a.k.a. Dr. Sammy, a USDA entomologist and founder of the Ramsey's Research Foundation. He has been, as with Dr. Gene Kritsky, these two entomologists have been really popular in the past month doing interviews for different media outlets. And um, Krisky's great. He's written books about everything, uh, about everything, about everything you need to know about cicadas. And then also Dr. Sammy, if he's very, um, well, one, knowledgeable, his thing is about behavior with uh, insects and how they communicate and stuff like that. But he's also very animated in a way that Krisky isn't. So he's very good for social media and for younger viewers who are getting into bugs and insects. And he also runs the Ramsey Research Foundation. However, I'd be remiss if I missed talking about two interesting uh, zoologists and uh, bug scientists, basically, of the United States history's past. And one of them is from here in Cincinnati. So uh, I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce you to Charles Henry Turner, a notable zoologist from Cincinnati. Turner was a renowned was renowned for his study in the behavior of ants and bees, and in the 1886 sorry, he was the 1886 valedictorian of Woodward High School, and he was the first African American to receive a graduate degree at the University of Cincinnati, and he also received a PhD of zoology from the University of Chicago, where he graduated magna cum laude in 1907. So he got to watch the broods as well. Although he was an extremely smart and successful zoologist with insight into insect behavior, he was unable to get an appointment at the University of Chicago and the Tuskegee Institute could not afford his salary. He became a teacher at Sumner High School and taught there until his retirement in 1922. However, whilst at Sumner, he continued his research and published 49 papers on invertebrates and their behavior. He became the first person to prove that insects can hear and distinguish pitch. He also discovered that cockroaches can learn by trial and error and that honeybees can see visual patterns. These are scientific things that we still use today in our research of invertebrates. Turner's work was different from his the majority of scientists of his day for the time in the time since he adopted a cognitive perspective to analyze animal behavior and the scientific world was lesser for it. I really wish this guy got tenure at the University of Chicago. Who knows what we have known about invertebrates, bees, and ants if he had gotten 
the opportunity to be a part of the faculty, <laughs> which makes me. Nah. So also turning to Benjamin Banneker, have you read about Benjamin Banneker? He has been very popular recently. No, Mm-mm, no. He documented, this is the cicada man. I'm calling him the cicada man. You, I'm sorry, Dr. Kritsky, he, Banneker is the cicada man. He documented brood X cicadas in the late 1700s. Originally from Maryland, Banneker started studying cicadas in 1749 on his 100-acre homestead. Banneker was interested in all things natural, being an astronomer, almanac author, and polymath. Although the copious notes and observations through multiple brood cycles, or sorry, through his copious notes and observations through multiple brood cycles in his lifetime, he was able to accurately predict the 1800 brood cycle, something that had not been done before. He may have been the first person to chart the cicada's long life cycle, but rarely gets credit for his scientific find as he was a freed black man. And the Smithsonian Magazine just highlighted his entire work history that can be found in a recent article for the magazine. And I saw that flurry around social media when it came out a few weeks ago. And I did not know about Benjamin Banneker, but now he has he does have a statue at the Smithsonian and he has done a lot of the backbone work with cicadas and other insects because he was highly observant. Both men, Turner and Banneker, were highly observant men who really just witnessed the natural world and wrote about it and we would know less about insects and how they behaved if these two men hadn't written about their stuff but how do you look at an insect and realize what they're doing like you have to be insanely you have to be really smart to figure that out well social media wasn't a thing back then so you had a lot more distraction free time well that's true but I yeah. mean, so I can look at an ant. I can look at an ant and not really know. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're going that way. You're moving this way, but I don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> well, you know, that's one thing that's interesting. Uh, one of the things I'm drawing in my book are the leafcutter ants. And when you're in Costa Rica or uh, any kind of tropical place, it's interesting to see all these little ants carrying their leaves, and they build incredible underground cities that these ants Mm -hmm. live in and they have very specialized ants that do things i mean they there's definitely a lot that goes on there that we don't understand and there's a lot we don't understand about insects uh, that probably are way more sophisticated than we give them credit for i mean humans tend to if they don't understand things kill them which i like that you've said that that with cicadas that they been encouraging people not to use pesticides and stuff like oh that. yeah mm. so um, like there are local i'm gonna be blunt mom's groups that i'm a part of on different social media platforms and i don't know how many posts i've seen especially i can count them on my hand only maybe two or three of people going what pest service can i call to get rid of these cicadas I don't like them in my yard. And then the backlash is hundreds of people saying, do not kill cicadas, do not use insecticide. And then eventually the mods have to come in and shut off the comments because they've just overwhelmed the forum. And it's basically, yeah. So I have to say credit to the, um, 
entomologists for getting the word out over the past 40 years that cicadas are not bad. You should not be killing them on purpose. They're not, they don't even have mouth parts. They can't bite you. Like, I could go on with some other cicada facts, but I, I would freak out, Jen. They're fine. No, tell me. I'd like to know. But I, I also heard that they can't, um, like the insecticides don't really do much to them. Yeah, it, it's the same insecticide that they would use for like aphids and um, mm. mites that would affect them. But why? It, they're not doing it. They're good. They aerate the ground. They yeah. eat tree sap and tree water in the root systems. That's what they eat. It, it's Though I will say when you don't expect them and you see a nymph come out of the ground, it looks like a land-dwelling shrimp has just popped up in front of you. And that can be quite alarming. But thankfully, there are many, many people who have been super curious and decided to study them instead of squish them. Are they the little white things? Um, almost. Okay, Chewy. And I did say oh, the, that. I sorry, Chewy got stuck is... in the house. Oh no! I, <laughs> I have looked to see if there is a beer in honor of the cicadas, and there is. I don't know if there's one in Cincinnati yet. I'm going to have to do more research. But there is one in Maryland. Uh, True Respite Brewery has a Brewed X brew like it doesn't have cicadas in it i mean that's one of the things when you do search there's all these things saying you know recipes for cicadas but Mm -hmm. since shirts does have a cincinnati cicadas t-shirt that looks pretty cool of course Mm since these shirts would anyway they had the one with um amy's family's restaurant on it too yeah yeah we've talked about them in the past yeah Um, so you asked about the white the white mm -hmm. ones So, um, like I said, I'm not an entomologist. This is just what I've learned over my past month of just being obsessed with them. So you have the nymphs that come out of the ground and they're going to be brown and they kind of look like shrimp because, because they have these really actually surprisingly sharp little claws that they're coming out with. What they need to do is find a sturdy branch or something that's not going to move. So that's why they like the tree trunks or large plant trunks. They don't want to do this on limbs. Uh, I know cars, car tires, anything that's stationary for any period of time, this is what they're going to do. They crawl up onto it and latch on. And once they latch on, that sends a biological signal to them to leave their exoskeleton so that little white bit that you see with them coming out and they're all bent backwards looking like they're suddenly stunned to see the sun Mm -hmm. because they do this they come out at dusk or about 30 minutes after dusk and then they will trudge trying to find the perfect place to latch on to that will be safe and then they hope that they can get out of their exoskeleton and if they can't or if they fall or anything they can't latch on, they die. So it's Aww. really common to see these half-hatched ones where whatever they had grabbed onto wasn't stationary enough or moved around and or they fell off and then the entire thing just stops and they die. And it's very sad Aww. to see that. So the white bit is the adult where they've been underground for 17 years and 
their coloration isn't there yet. So basically they take about a few hours to get some sunlight, get some oxygen going through everything. And that's when they go from being this stark ghostly white to being black with the gold wings or the orange wings, but they keep their red eyes. And Mm -hmm. um, you can sex cicadas really easily actually um, by looking at their bums. And uh, basically if there's just a little nubbin, Back there, it's a boy, and if it looks like there's um, almost like a stinger, that's a female, because that's the sharp end that she's going to use to uh, slit open a twig and then inject the eggs. So that's the females were the ones that they were always afraid of stinging you because of... It looked like she has a stinger. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. she actually doesn't. They'll die with, they only live about 10 days, 10, maybe 14 days. Both males and females sing. Um, I tried my best to record audio, but my microphones just weren't sensitive enough. But when you go outside, you'll hear actually two different pitches of cicadas singing. The high ones, the ones that are that ear splittingly high, those are the males. Those are are the dudes looking for the ladies. The low one that sounds almost mechanical and it's like this dull rumble, those are the ladies. And those are the ones who say, I find you attractive. Come with me to my little tree branch and do the devil's tango. And uh, that's what that is. So, um, devil's tango. Yeah. So, uh, that's what that is. And there's actually a third calling that you probably have heard if you surprised a cicada. If you open your door or if you're like my little dude, go grab at a cicada, you'll hear this kind of clicking sound come from them. And that's their little warning call, which is not only warning like, help, I'm in danger, but it's also to the other members of the brood saying there's danger here, get away. So if one of them's getting eaten by a squirrel, it will click constantly like that so that other cicadas know to fly away. It's like it seems like a lot of species kind of have that like I'm thinking salmon like salmon go to spawn and then die like there's a lot of species that have some of this similar mating thing and that kind of segues into my insect story because um, I have one little trivia bit about that there are zombie cicadas I have actually two little bits so and I want to know about the fungus that you mentioned that was one of my little bits so just the gross out portions of the cicada story so you can have zombie cicadas because um they have two and krinsky puts this a lot better than i can but basically they have two little systems working in their bodies their head and their abdomens and their back ends so if let's say a squirrel eats the head the rest of the thorax and the wings and the legs can continue moving if the body gets eaten, the head can still move around. And if you happen to upon a cicada that has been dismembered by one or the other, if you look at them, you can actually see the spinal column kind of still wiggling around. And I find it fascinating watching that happen. Um, and then I usually pitch them into a bush because I'm like, oh, you're gone. But um, I don't show I don't show little dude at all because. Mm-hmm. I, you wouldn't get what's happening 
The fungus, I cannot pronounce the Latin for it, only affects the males. And I did take a photo. We, My friend Emily and I actually found, she actually found, a male who had been infected enough to be noticed by this fungus. And besides birds and everything, and, and, anim- and chipmunks and squirrels and everything that eat them, this fungus will also take out the population. So what it does is a male will get infected with this fungus and the fungus will basically like a little zombie control, tell the male to kind of sing like a female to attract other males to it. And then when that happens, it does a little dance and the spores of the fungus go infect the other males. The fungus will continue to grow. It knocks out the back abdomen side of the, of the male until the cicada explodes. Which I didn't want to tell you, Jen, because I wanted to see that reaction. (laughs) That poor baby. Yeah, so you can get, there's an NPR article all about it. It is not the best thing. Well, that's, well, so this creepy story is not about cicadas, but, you know, it seems like there's certain species of bugs that do swarm this time of year. And my nephew was visiting Cincinnati, my nephew that lives in New York normally, and we were all playing a board game in our dining room. And I felt something crawling on my toe. And I looked down and there was a little tiny bug that kind of looked like an ant. And I looked at it and then I turned my head and looked behind me and our whole living room was covered in bugs. They were swarming termites. And it was like they were on everything. We all started screaming and vacuuming. And then we did have to call pest control for that because, you know, you don't want them in your living room like that. I mean, when I say there was a lot, there was a lot. But they didn't do any damage to your house, did they? No, no. But the pest control guy was, was, you know, very humorous and was talking about it being part of their mating cycle and they swarm and he said, Oh, well, did you see a lot of action? Because that's like sort of a big bug orgy. They were doing the devil's tango in your living room. Mm -hmm. I would set my house on fire. No, but it was, (laughs) it was, it was one of those things where it was like a a horror movie. I have my house sprayed. Mm -hmm. I have my Mm -hmm. house sprayed quarterly because i was getting these these damn centipedes ah okay, yeah. i like those house centipedes. were they no, outside centipedes or house centipedes because they're two I different things because they were creepy centipedes. and they eat spiders and anything that eats a spider is not allowed in my house that and sounds like a house crawl, centipede and yeah, when you I, crawl I on my lamp mm-hmm, right next to me and you're making eye contact with me you die you die <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't no. like me because i try to take their picture i'm always trying to take pictures of spiders and house centipedes, oh and i start trying to take pictures and they run away from me for some reason they don't like yeah they're really skittish i love yeah, watching them run though no no you know? no and then of course the cats eat a lot of that stuff too the yeah cats love to play with the, house centipedes. the um, only reason why i don't like centipede i i'm fine with centipedes if i see a house centipede i'm like Go get whatever you're hunting, but they do, they can be venomous and get mm. pets. So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't know that's, that. yeah, that's yeah. the only reason why I don't like them. Like, um, yeah, also house spiders. I've been bitten. I don't know how many times by your average run of the mill house spider. I love orb weavers. Mm-hmm. They're my favorites. Orb weavers are, are awesome. Cool I was just going to say, I've recently come around to liking tarantulas, but only in pictures. 
and when they're behind glass. That's a good way to like that. I yeah, would they're pretty, they're pretty harmless though. Most tarantulas are pretty not I, dangerous. They look it's really smooth. soft, like you'd want to pet them. Yeah. You them. So you, you might pet them and they are soft. You might be able to convince me to hold a tarantula. Yeah. I mean, That's as far harmless. as I go. It's, it's more like the, the brown recluses are the really dangerous spiders. Oh, and that, I grew up in St. Louis. They have those. Yeah, there. they're not, I don't think yeah. they're that common in Cincinnati, but no. I know like in warmer climates like Texas and stuff. Of course, you have scorpions and stuff in those places too you know what that's why i hate spider that's why i hate bugs because i grew up with brown recluse and they're like you gotta stay away from them they'll kill you yeah that's why we do have wood widows which are a cousin to black widows their venom isn't as venomous but they can bite you and make your life uncomfortable for a while but they're usually outside in wood piles so this is one reason why to secure your wood piles outside and not only will you have snakes living in them or chipmunks, but wood widows too. So inspect your logs before bringing them in the house. But I've lived, or I've, I've stayed in a, um, so yeah, um, as I was saying, I stayed in an apartment that was infested with brown recluses. So we had to jettison all of our stuff to make sure that none of them came back to Indiana with us. So that was fun. I, I have just have bug stories. When I lived I had an apartment in Indiana when I lived in Indianapolis and it was infested with roaches, the entire oh. apartment building. Oh, and no. I maybe lived there for about a month or two. And then I moved back here to Cincinnati. And as I packed, I got, you know, that powder insecticide and I covered every box with it. I wrapped everything I owned in saran wrap. I'm like, you are not coming with me. You are staying here. And thankfully I did not them home back to my new place no i have one roach story and it is also from indiana and uh, i was sleeping in bed and i was i had a subterranean apartment basically the bottom chewy the bottom apartment in a building so i was right next to the boiler room which was bad because that's where there was a uh, cockroach infestation Mm -hmm. so i was sleeping in bed one night and i could feel something crawling up my neck and up onto my face and i woke up and it was a full adult cockroach just sitting on my face oh my gosh that's very kafka-esque yeah isn't it so uh yeah i i will mention i almost had an infestation of chipmunks which would be a lot more cute i would rather that than roaches yes so we do have a hometown hot this week. Um, I can read it. Uh, I, this is actually a place I used to freelance. And a friend of mine that was the photographer there gave us this. But first, um, last we've got a good reception to our hero episode we did last week. And Stephanie's, I don't know if either of you have checked her Kickstarter, but it has been extremely successful. They have already sold 848 decks and they're almost at $50,000. It's amazing. Congratulations, Stephanie yeah. and team. Well, you know, you have 78 art- 77, 78 artists. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of promotion. I mean, that is a lot of promotion. To them. I mean, I'm so glad that maybe she'll get to do some of the gold leaf that she'd wanted to do. <gasps> that's and, and true. I oh, know. I, I ordered that's a couple fun. decks. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Um, I mean, the art that I've seen has been really beautiful. And I feel like I know more after the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go on and get myself. I would like to back it too and get a, get a deck. And then I think we need to have a tarot party. 
Yeah, I was going to get a deck as well. Because now it's more important. Like, there's significance to this deck now. So, yeah. Yeah. Hero party! Yes. We'll see if we can get someone. I mean, surely you know someone, Kat, that can maybe read some for us. Oh, I do. I I know people. I, I knew that you would. So should we go for the hometown hot and then wrap Yes, please do. Okay. So uh, our contributor this week is Kim. And she writes, when working at New Creative Enterprises in the photo studio, we had multiple encounters with a ghost of sorts. Things would just randomly fall over. A broom that had been leaning in the same spot for weeks would just fall to the floor. Sets would randomly just collapse. One Sunday, when there were only two of us in the entire building, Myself and the other photographer went into the showroom where there were literally hundreds of wind chimes. A single chime would ring every time we went into that room. We did a power of deduction thing. There are solar chimes and we moved them to cover them up. Even after that, a single chime would ring. This happened multiple times. Every time we went into the room, Diana, the other photographer, brought up a time when she saw a man in the warehouse office. She thought it was strange because the clothing he was wearing. The other person in the office was not aware of his presence. Rumor has it that they built the office park over a burial ground, a very old and sacred ground. The company eventually went from a thriving company to out of business. So, yeah, the company's wow. there. It was in Milford. But, yeah, she oh. said that they, they kept trying to figure out what was making these chimes. They thought well, maybe it's some wind and they covered up the ducts. They moved mm-hmm. the solar chimes out and they said it wasn't a bunch of chimes. It was one chime. Just one. would ring whenever they went in. And so that sounded really spooky. Um, I freelance yeah. there, but, and I never saw anything weird, but it seems like, but this was like when people were not there for the most part, when they would be doing mm-hmm. like photos for the catalog or whatever, and everybody would be gone, but then. Can so you imagine? They... Go ahead. No, Go ahead. I was going to say it was a chiming while they were out of the room and then they would come back to see which one was chiming? Um, it think? says that they. Let me look through. Read this again. Um, a a it, single it chime like would, would ring, ring every time we went, went into, into the, room. the room. I wonder yes. if they were creating a gust. This is just my pa- my paranormal investigator hat on. I'm wondering if when they would open a door, they would create gust in that. Like, was it the same chime every time? Was it a different chime in a different part of the room? I like, think they ruled it out, but I will ask her. And it, uh, it's we'll, just inquiry. Because um, they saw, like, they didn't, it wasn't just the chimes. They had things would fall over and move and collapse. The entity, and, too. Like, seeing an apparition is pretty yeah, convincing. Yeah, they, they saw someone in some, some, I mean, and who knows if they were all the same entity, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the listeners of our podcast said that they were terrified when you mentioned Jin, because they were like, "What do you mean? There's mm-hmm. other entities that aren't." Oh, they they've had some nightmares since they listened. Oh to the no! Show, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's never yeah, our intent. Yeah, so that's. <laughs> but yeah, well, yes, if they're, I, if I, they're I interested, ask, um, Aaron Mankey or uh, Chandra Robert, uh, um, what's her name from? Adnan. Anyway, I'll shut up. Cut this out. There is a podcast that's all about gin, and it's on it's on Aaron Menke's network. The guy who does lore, lore, and it's all about gin and how they um that some families or some cultures they have a gin that stays with the family, and Mm -hmm. 
they're expected yeah. it was just, it's just a really cool kind of thing i don't know yeah they're but they, they, they can be seen scary they're they can be seen like guardian angels but they can also be viewed as like banshees the mm-hmm. jinn kind of play a multifaceted role when within like a family's um spiritual belief system so and it, it can be yeah. different for every single family but yeah. um i learned about jinn from rosemary ellen guiley who was a prominent paranormal investigator and author who sadly passed away a few years ago but yeah. she was she really researched jinn and uh kind of fey folk two different mm-hmm. branches but kind of what are these entities that people are reporting how are they re- relating to people and culture stuff like that so um so i think that's the I'm end of our episode yes <laughs> yeah so do the outro yay yes <laughs> so thank you everyone for joining us on this wonderful episode of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities presents the hometown haunts podcast if you would like to share your weird history ghost stories personal encounters with ghosts uh the paranormal creepy cryptids you can email us at hometown haunted mail at gmail.com you can also follow us at sin cabinet curio on twitter since the cabinet of curiosities on instagram and uh, we look forward to hearing your stories for christina and jen and myself stay curious everyone have a great week Bye-bye. bye bye bye